Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College presents Liberty Mail with the Student Fellows of Faith and Freedom. Hello and welcome. My name is Grace Riley and we're at the Post Row America Conference for the Institute for Faith and Freedom. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson has always had a fierce determination to help women in need, and it was this desire that both led her to a career at Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider, and then from there to become the large, one of the largest and most impactful pro-life speakers that we have in the United States. So we're so happy to have her. She also is the author of Unplanned, which turned into the movie Unplanned, and she is the founder of And Then They Were None, which is a ministry that helps people that work in the abortion industry to leave the abortion industry. Abby, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, thanks for having me. So you have a pretty incredible story. Can you tell our viewers just a bit about how you went from working in a Planned Parenthood and being the director of a Planned Parenthood to becoming one of the most impactful pro-life voices to be reckoned with? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I got started with Planned Parenthood in college. I didn't know much about the organization. I didn't know much about the pro-life or pro-choice debate, either one. And, um, you know, believed the talking points, believed all of the things that the the women were telling me who were with Planned Parenthood. And I was pretty pretty naive at the time. And, um, and so got involved and just kind of started working my way up through through the ladder, through the corporate ladder of Planned Parenthood and uh, eventually became a, a director of the facility where I had started. And, um, but I, I was there for a long time. I was there for eight years and uh, about six years into my career there, I was promoted to the clinic director. And, you know, it was then that I, I really started having some questions about what was going on uh, you know, when you're just there every day in the clinic, you're just kind of doing your job and, uh, you know, you're not, you're not really seeing behind the scenes, you know, your focus is really on the patients and, and what you're doing day to day. Um, but then, you know, you start to pull back the curtain and you start to see what's happening in management. You start to see the budgets, you see the, you know, the line by line, you, you see the protocols, you, you see more of it. And, uh, that was really when I started to have some questions and questions that uh, weren't really answered in the way that I, I thought that they would be by my supervisors. I was given a, an abortion quota, a certain number of abortions that we had to sell to women, which was, you know, that was bothersome to me because I had gotten involved with Planned Parenthood under the belief that we were trying to keep abortion safe, legal, and rare. That was the talking point at that time. Uh, you know, I started to see really poor patient care, the way that we were covering up uh, patient malpractice, negligence by physicians, uh, many, many problematic things. But ultimately, I ended up leaving after witnessing a live ultrasound guided abortion procedure. Ultrasounds are not typically used during abortion procedures, uh, but we had a visiting physician come in that day and uh, he was going to show us what what this type of abortion looked like. He wanted he wanted us to have a, a learning experience that day to see something different. And I watched as a, a 13 week old baby in the womb fought and struggled for his life against the abortion instruments, and and that awakened something inside of me. I, I saw something I'd never seen before. I, I 
recognized really for the first time that there was this unique and uh, intrinsic humanity and, and dignity in life that was inside of the womb. And I knew that if those things were true, that I was on the wrong side of this abortion debate. And uh, my eyes were really opened at that time. And I ended up leaving Planned Parenthood. When I left, uh, Planned Parenthood found out that I you know, was no longer an abortion supporter. They ended up taking me to court, which is pretty abnormal. I mean, you, yeah. you know, usually you leave a job and you kind of leave and that's that and they let you move on. But it's not always the case in the abortion industry. Abortion clinic workers are uh, one of the primary threats to the abortion industry because we know they're, they're dirty laundry, right? We know the secrets. And uh, to expose that is, is a, a grave threat to their business. And so they wanted to keep me quiet. They tried to get a permanent gag order against me. That obviously failed. But when they took me to court, they also sent out a press release. That press release got picked up by the Associated Press. Uh, that then, the media began to question. That alerted the media. And the, the media said, you know, what, what's the deal? Why, what, what don't you want this woman to talk about? Why are you trying to keep her quiet? And so really it's, I mean, I mean it is the hand of God, but also um, <laughs> the missteps of Planned Parenthood uh, and their PR department. Uh, that's really why I, I even have the platform that I have today. Yeah, well, and thank God you do, and thank God everything has worked out the way it has, and that your voice has been able to be so loud. And you mentioned before that you thought that the idea was that um, abortion was supposed to be safe, rare, and legal. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing our culture now shift more and more to the secular left, and now it's gone from being safe, rare, and legal. That's the talking point that the left then was perpetrating. It went from that, and now, the talking point is on demand all the time right. without question. How did we get here? Yeah, so that really started to change in 2007. So that, that really started to change while it was inside of the abortion industry. The movement went from, you know, the abortion lobby went from the safe, legal, and rare, which we heard everybody say. We heard, you know, presidents say it. We heard mm. all kinds of people say it, right? So we went from that to this abortion on demand without apology and taxpayers are going to fund it. Um, so that shift went really in 2007 and it was when Planned Parenthood completely rebranded themselves and they, their new tagline became care no matter what. And there was a complete rebranding um, at the national level, at the Planned Parenthood Federation level. And they started a, a complete rebranding in all of their training as well. And they started training all of their health center assistants, so the, the counselors, the people that are you know talking to the women coming in to have abortions. They started realizing, Planned Parenthood Federation of America started realizing that telling women that they were uh, pregnant with a clump of cells, right, uh, telling women that it was just tissue, those talking points were no longer working. And those of us who were talking to pregnant women, we knew they weren't working anymore because 60% of women who were having abortions had already had children. Mm -hmm. 
they had already gone through prenatal visits. They had already delivered babies. They had already had ultrasounds. Uh, they knew this was not a massive tissue. They knew this wasn't just cells. They knew that what they were aborting in the womb was in fact a baby. They were coming in, they were calling it a baby. They were asking questions about their baby. They were saying, is my baby going to feel pain? They were saying, does my baby have arms and legs? I remember having an ultrasound of my baby, my two-year-old, right, at this stage, and it had arms and legs. So this baby has arms and legs, right? They were, they were asking those kinds of questions. They knew better. And so the, the lies that we were giving them, they weren't, it wasn't working anymore, right? So we had to completely change our branding. We had to completely change our language. So that's when they came up with the care no matter what. And that's when they completely changed all the talking points. So gone you know, were these lies about you know, masses of tissue and cells and, and all of this. And in came the idea of abortion being an act of altruism, okay? And that is when everything in this country shifted. And it happened in 2007, 2008. So the new talking point at Planned Parenthood, which then got picked up by the media and eventually then spread out into our culture. And this is what we see today. Okay, so even all these years later, this is still the narrative. This is still the talking point. Uh, is that women have abortions because they care about themselves, their current families, and their future families. So all of a sudden, abortion became... Uh, not really an act of self-preservation like it had been before, but abortion became an act of love that uh, women are having abortions because they love their children. They're killing their babies because they love them. And that was bizarre. Like even to me working at someone, at, at someone working at Planned Parenthood and at that time, someone who was a director at Planned Parenthood, I was like, I mean, is this really going to work? Yeah, I mean, like, is this, is this, and, really going to make sense? And even the rhetoric to the opposite side saying that if, if people want you to keep your baby, then they actually do not have your best interest at heart and they don't have the baby's best interest at heart. Right. So it completely shifted on the other side as well. Exactly. And that was also when we started really pushing this idea that adoption, placing your baby for adoption was actually far worse mm -hmm. than aborting your baby, right? And that was when they started coming up with these false studies about you know, the grief of adoption being worse than the grief of losing your child through death. Um, they started pushing those. Those started coming up on our websites. And anyway, and I remember just questioning this. Is this really going to work? And we started testing it out, you know, in our education rooms, these women that were coming in to have abortions. And it was crazy because it did work. Because women were looking for any reason to justify their abortions mm. and 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 an act of altruism you know yeah. i'm doing this because i'm a good person I, i'm doing this because because yes i am a i'm a person who cares i'm having an abortion out of compassion yeah yes i'm now a hero yeah because i've had an abortion and it did work yeah and looking at that i mean Obviously, as you're saying, there are a lot of women who would not necessarily die on the hill of being pro-choice, but they're constantly surrounded and bombarded by the rhetoric from the pro-choice side. And also, there are a lot of women who are in situations where they may be pregnant um, and are just looking 
for answers and looking for someone to answer that feeling that they have or validate something, how do we as the pro-life movement meet these women where they're at and show them that life is the way? Well, you know, I think, I think by and large, the majority of women are having abortions because they feel unsupported by, you know, a partner or they feel unsupported financially. Mm -hmm. Those are the two, you know, greatest reasons we hear that women are looking uh, into abortion as an option. So um, I think that, you know, it's our responsibility then in, in the pro-life movement to say, uh, number one, we will help support you. We will help support you on, on this journey. Um, one of the things that we talk about in our ministry a lot is, is just kind of this uh, gospel of accompaniment, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to accompany you on this journey, no matter what. It's going to get messy. Being pro-life is messy. Mm -hmm. Choosing life can get messy. Parenting, motherhood, all of that, it's hard. It's a struggle, right? Yeah. Um, but anything worth doing is going to be hard. It's going to be messy, right? But we're going to be in this with you. And we're not just going to be in it until you deliver your baby and then we're going to mm -hmm. say bye, right? But we're going to continue to walk this road with you um, for however long yeah. you need us to be there, right? And I think that's a great call to Christians as well. That as to actually be the church. Yes, to live out your faith as a pro-life Christian um, and just a pro-lifer in general, to live out uh, being pro-life through and through and to walk alongside women who are in, in need. Right. And then I think the second part of that is, and I think probably even a bigger part of it, is the financial, uh, the financial strain. Uh, like I said before, the statistics are about the same even now as they were before. Over 60% of women who have abortions already have children at home. Mm -hmm. You know, they're choosing abortion because they feel like they can't feed the kids they already have. You know, how do we step in and fill those financial gaps? Um, you know, I... I think that's that's something that we have to really consider. Yeah. You know, how do we provide case management for these women? How do we step in and say, look, not being able to pay your rent is not a reason to kill an innocent human mm -hmm. being. We'll pay your rent. We'll get you a car. We'll pay for your, you know, your education. Whatever it is that you need to, to you know, you need help with to better yourself, to better your family. The money's there we need to figure out how to better contribute to the lives of, of women and families. Yeah. And just so being on a college campus, um, how can college students get involved and help out the pro-life movement? And how important is it that they use their voices? Well, it's not people my age that are having abortions. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm 42. It's, I'm, it's not my people, right? Yeah. Having abortions, uh, maybe a few, but by and large, it's, it's not. It's mm -hmm. you know the bulk of women having abortions are between the age of twenty and twenty-four. So, uh, you know, it's women your age, it's women on college campuses who are having abortions. Your peers, mm -hmm. it's people you know, and so it's vitally important that it is college-aged people, both men and women, who are you know speaking out, speaking up, getting involved think, you know, one of the reasons that Planned Parenthood is so dedicated to being a voice on college campuses is because this is their demographic. Um, so, you know, how do we fight back against that? Well, one of the ways is that we make sure that every college campus is a place of sanctuary for 
women who do find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. So do they know where to go mm-hmm. uh, when, when they themselves may have an unplanned pregnancy or their friend has an unplanned pregnancy? Do they know that the campus that they're on is a place that supports uh, pregnant and parenting moms? Mm-hmm. Um, do they know that, they're, that this is a safe haven for them? Is there a, a single parenting group on campus that can support them? You know, do they know where their local pregnancy is? Pregnancy center is. Is the pregnancy center is their local pregnancy center? Do they have a um, a presence on campus? If they don't, they should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I recently uh, went on campus uh, to a, a college, and you know, we helped them get a campaign going where in every single stall of every bathroom on campus, they put up a flyer. You know, that talked about all of the services that are available uh, to pregnant pregnant and parenting uh, students on campus, you know, just so that they know that this is a place where you're supported. You don't have to have an abortion. Um, if You know, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You can be a mom and you can do this. And, uh, you know, your your life may look a little different, right? It may take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Your road, your journey may look a little different. You can do it. And I think that that's a really important part of, of what our colleges need to be putting out there for mm-hmm. students. But I also think, you know, you guys have a unique opportunity to be going out to where abortions are taking place. You know, your faces need to be the ones out on the sidewalk reaching out to these women going into abortion clinics because your face is more relatable than mine is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you being able to reach out to a woman who's walking in and saying, you don't have to do this today. There's options. Let me help you. Let me walk with you. Let me accompany you. That's going to go a lot further than somebody like me. So I think that's important. And I also think college students partnering with pregnancy centers in your area, uh, being able to walk Mm -hmm. alongside those women who are walking in or even just serving in some way, you know, helping with organizing diapers or whatever it may be, being able to serve a pregnancy center in your area is also vital. Yeah, that's really great advice. So just before we close, can you just tell people where they can find your work because you obviously have a lot of other resources and information for people who are interested in how they can help. Yeah, so my website, my personal website is um, abbyj.com, abbyj.com. We also have, we also run a, a, a support line for women who are pregnant or uh, in crisis or single parents. That's loveline.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can always text us there any time of day or night. Um, and then our website for abortion clinic workers who may need help is um, abortionworker.com. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me. We're so excited that you were able to come speak on campus. And I'm so fortunate to have been able to sit down with you. So thank you. Thank you, Grace. For more information on the Institute for Faith and Freedom, visit faithandfreedom.com.